Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. On this World Mental Health Day episode, I talk with Dr. Justine Grosso, a licensed psychologist, about how our nervous system responds to trauma. Again, none of this means that we're doing anything wrong or bad. It doesn't mean that we're broken. It just means that there's opportunities to practice just a little bit at a time. Hi, and welcome to The Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Hello, Dr. Justine. Thank you for joining us today in the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. I know. I'm psyched for you to be here, too. Um, We've been friends on Instagram for a while now, and um, I've been wanting you on the show because you have such a very uh, specific area of expertise that I know I'm very intrigued about that I learn a lot from. And so I wanted you to come on the show to share some of that today with everyone out there who's listening. Um, And what we're going to be talking about today are the four trauma responses. And we're going to go into a little more detail about that. So um, for anyone who's not even sure what I'm even talking about right now, I'll let you take the lead and share what those four trauma responses are in relation to our nervous system. Um, If you could just kind of just define what each of them are, and then we'll go from there because I have lots of questions to ask you. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So the four trauma responses that I tend to talk about are based on a model called the 4F model by Pete Walker. And it's nice. They're all, they're 4F, so they're easy to remember. That's fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And I'll jump into kind of what each of one, each of them looks like and feels like in a second. But I think the most important place to start is just understanding that our life experiences and certainly experiences that are traumatic, like abuse, uh, experiences like neglect, impact us as humans. And what's commonly talked about is how traumatic experiences and abuse and neglect can impact our beliefs about ourselves, right? That's how we think about who we are as a person. Am I a good or a bad person? Beliefs about the world. Is the world safe? Is it unsafe? Are men safe or unsafe? Um, But we also know that our traumatic and stressful experiences impact the body through the nervous system. And that can show up as these fight, flight, freeze, and fawn responses. Right. So that's important to know because oftentimes we as humans focus on changing our thoughts 
through cognitive behavioral therapy or affirmations. But there's a whole body of theory and research and therapy that can help us uh, learn about how we're impacted by trauma and then heal trauma habits and patterns through working through the body and with our emotions. So um, let's look a little bit at the four trauma responses. So an, another way to think about these is um, basically habit patterns, automatic habits that our body learns when we're under stress, uh, when we're under trauma. And I define trauma as something that happens that's too much for our nervous system to handle, um, or there's an absence of really important experiences like emotional attunement, curiosity, um, emotional needs being met. And when we're under stress, our nervous system gets activated beginning in the amygdala. The amygdala sounds an alarm. And then there's this whole process that happens in our brain and in our cardiovascular system and our digestive systems that prepares us to fight ideally, right? To fight off um, the stress that's right. in our way. If fight doesn't work, we go into flight. It's easy to run away, ideally. If flight doesn't work, we go into a freeze or a fawn response. So fight, as it might sound like, is, is getting ready to fight off the stress or the attack. So when we're in a fight response, we might feel a sudden burst of anger, a lot of tension in the body, particularly in the fists or in the limbs and the feet, feel aggressive. And here we move towards the threat, right? Right. In contrast with flight, you, we're going to notice feelings that are more like panic, right? Like wanting to just get the heck out of there. Um, this goes along with feeling anxiety um, and can also manifest as um, just lots of like heady worrying about what's going to happen. Am I going to be okay? Um, as well as thoughts that relate to perfectionism, right? So the threat, the threat could be like, something that's actually like someone attacking us or the threat can be uh, a relationship that we're in a boss that we want to impress a new dating partner um it could be even parenting that's where perfectionism can come up a lot right so it's an effort to avoid um stress through right. trying to be perfect so that's fight and flight the freeze response the body goes into an experience of not being able to move, being immobilized. Um, it might also come along with lots of shame, uh, can feel like depression. If we're in a chronic freeze response, um, it can look like dissociation, which is feeling disconnected from the world around us and disconnected from our bodies. Um, and in this space, uh, there's really a lot of self-criticism that can come on board because oftentimes we don't know that freeze is a nervous system response. It's neurobiological. We don't have a we don't have conscious control over it. Right. Last, the fawn response is kind of a combination of the freeze response and also being really good at making other people feel safe. 
So we think of fawn also as people pleasing. It's really similar to the idea of codependency. But the basic, the basic premise here is that when we're fawning, we disconnect from what we want. That's like our preferences, what we like and dislike, our thoughts, our needs, and we focus totally on making the other person uh, feel safe. We accommodate their needs and wants. Um, we like metaphorically roll over and go with the flow. And for people who are in a fawn or people-pleasing response, it's really hard to say no. It's really hard to set boundaries um, and basically prioritize what we need and what we want in our lives. And so just to summarize, these four Fs are all ways that people learn to find a sense of safety in their life. You know, it helped when they were kids or adolescents, maintain a sense of safety and get away from danger. Um, but usually over time, we find that it doesn't work so well as adults. And having these automatic trauma responses can make relationships really difficult, parenting difficult, uh, and can get in the way of our career and get in the way of our friendships. Yes, absolutely. I can completely relate to this. You actually wrote something recently that I want to share with everyone right now, and I'm going to read it real quick. It says, you're not dramatic. It's a fight response. You're not negative. It's a flight fear response. You're not lazy. It's a freeze response. You're not a doormat. It's a fawn response. I just think that's so... Um, interesting. And it, it really just describes what you just said really well. And so my next question is, I can relate to some of these personally. Um, I'm more of a flight avoidant <laughs> responder, um, but I'm also uh, a fawn responder. Is it possible to have both? I think you said earlier on, you usually do the fight or flight and then possibly the freeze and fawn. Mm -hmm. um, but do, does flight and fawn typically go together where you kind of avoid the situation, but then you also try to make it better or please the other person so it doesn't happen again? Is that pretty typical or or not? Yeah, it's absolutely um, depending on our context, like the, the things that are triggering us in our context we can have any and all of these happen and very, very quickly, right? In rapid um, succession. And yeah, you're, I mean, what I was really trying to convey with that Instagram post was how easy it is for us to judge ourselves and reduce ourselves to these labels, right? There's a lot of stigma that comes along with what's actually really brilliantly wired self-protective responses here. And my hope in talking about the nervous system is that we can take the shame out of this and take the self-judgment out of this because this all happens below our conscious awareness. It's simply our brain and our body trying to do the best that it can do uh, to keep us safe. 
Right. Uh, and yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, you know, just that protective stance, um, almost like a defense mechanism. You know, like you said, that's what works for us as even as early as childhood. Um, now, I know when I was in school, we learned about big T um, trauma responses and little t trauma responses. Is that something that aligns with your practice and, and your beliefs and when it comes to trauma? Because I feel like you know, I personally, I'll share my own personal story real quick. I don't feel like I had a lot of trauma as a child, but I remember being a people pleaser way back when. And I don't mm -hmm. know where that came from because mm -hmm. I've had some traumas in my life, but they weren't until I was much older into, let's say, early adulthood, you know, mid-adulthood. So, um, so could it be that the little T traumas and what does that even mean to everyone who's listening? What could that be? Um, I was always just very afraid of uh, things like rejection, you know, not fitting in, not having friends, which I think a lot of young kids go through, you know, wanting to feel connected and feel liked and having friends and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I just had this severe, um, I guess, fear of being rejected, you know, mm -hmm. or, um, you know, not being liked. And I just, I don't know where that stemmed from. Maybe it was something my parents did or, but I, like you said, it was kind of subconscious because it wasn't something that I can pinpoint and put my finger on. Do you feel like a lot of your clients experience something like that where they're just asking why, like, why am I like this? Why is this happening? You know, when they can't really pinpoint a specific trauma that's actually happened in their life to cause this type of safety mechanism. Absolutely. I mean, I think I, I relate to your experience of being like, okay, well, there weren't these like um, what we think of as typical traumatic events, right? Like what's going on here? And most of my clinical practice um, is women who are, who are working on recovering from people pleasing and exploring, you know, what we talk, what we, the field um, now calls like little T traumas. And I like this distinction. It's just a way to, to broaden the definition uh, of trauma. So the way that I've heard it speak, spoke, be spoken about is that big T traumas are what we see like in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Um, this is where psychiatrists and psychologists look at diagnoses. And in particular, um, for the post-traumatic stress disorder diagnosis, the way trauma is defined is like when there is actual or perceived death or injury to you or yourself, car, things like car accidents, assaults, um, sexual assault, um, natural disasters, like these, what we kind of think of as these, um, quote unquote, big T, big trauma events, right? Right. There's also a body of theory and work around um, developmental trauma um, and also complex trauma. And this really brings in the little t experiences. And in this case, little t refers to um, experiences of rejection, uh, invalid, chronic invalidation from parents or peers, bullying, um, feeling emotionally abandoned. Um, feeling uh, ex the experience of being parentified, which is when a child grows up with a parent who has a substance use problem or a serious mental illness or their own uh, trauma reactions and ends up having to take care of the parent and be, learn to be really attuned to the parent's needs 
at the cost of being able to learn who they are and what they want and need as a human being. And, you know, it's these little T's are spoken about as almost like paper, like just lots of paper cuts that we get over time, you know, whereas a big T might be like one really big injury right. to the psyche and to the body. And it's, it is the case that these little paper cuts, these little T's also do impact our nervous system, right? And so while they're not as um, traditionally thought of as a traumatic event, really trauma is about, is this experience too much for my nervous system to handle right now? Is it activating, you know, my fight, flight, freeze response here? Um, and certainly when it comes to the fawn response, people pleasing, uh, it, it is these more kind of relational uh, paper cuts that happen. It's um, feeling like I'm not important. It's feeling like um, I can't be authentic and speak about my emotions because I will get shamed or I'll get punished uh, in some way. Um, it's learning over time that maybe my parent uh, or caregiver isn't available uh, when I need help, right? Or when I'm really in distress. So I have to learn to just like suck it up and manage the distress by myself and right. go on. Right. Uh, I can relate to that. And we can go on and on about me and <laughs> my pseudotherapy session right now, um, you know, because I, I just know I can relate to a lot of that. And, uh, and we're going to go on in a minute to maybe some tips on if someone out there that's listening is a people pleaser or tends to have that fond response of maybe um, some tips to look for, um, some, you know, somatic tips you have or some uh, nervous response tips that you have on, you know, how to recognize that, how to bring awareness to it, and maybe how to to help those people that are like me out there. But we're going to take a quick break first. Hi, I'm Dr. Kim, the parentologist. As a wife, mom, therapist, and all-around juggler like most of you, I lead a hectic life, and sometimes that means indulging in foods on the go that my stomach doesn't always agree with. Thankfully, Pepto-Bismol provides me fast and effective relief for all kinds of upset stomachs. Having a little too many guilty pleasures at a family barbecue or birthday celebration may lead to indigestion or heartburn, so I always keep Pepto on hand to get fast relief when I need it the most. Pepto-Bismol, use as directed and keep out of reach of children. Okay, so I know that we're going to be talking about some tips on what people pleasers can do to bring awareness to it and then maybe also how to minimize it. Um, but first, I have one other um, topic that I want to talk about. It's something that you talked about um, that actually was a, a very a big post that you did on Instagram about finding glimmers. Um, so I just want to talk about, you know, you know, how to how to find those glimmers, um, what those are. I know you listed six on here. I'll just mention one of them. One of them is the sensation of tasty things, which um, I think is great. Because I think sometimes in our society right now, I mean, even just this week alone, I mean, I feel like I haven't even been able to take a deep breath. I have been volunteering at my kids' school. I've been taking them to dance practice, baseball practice, you know, all these things, trying to work. And it's really hard to find, you know, any moment to even be aware of anything good in my day or anything that's, um, 
just anything of detail in my day, how my food tastes, you know, how my body feels. It's really hard to, you know, take that in. So will you explain a little more about what finding glimmers is and how we can find those in our day? Yeah, absolutely. So glimmers is a beautiful concept. It was coined by Deb Dana. And Deb Dana talks about glimmers as the opposite of triggers. And really, I I look at them as an antidote to the impact of traumatic experiences, uh, abusive experiences, neglect, so on. Um, The idea behind a glimmer is that when we come into contact with things around us that give us a sense of awe or joy or surprise or connection, it's actually teaching our nervous system that we're safe in that moment. Uh, and Deb Dana coined this idea of turning a glimmer into a glow, which so a glimmer is like you're really present with this amazing cheese board you're eating, right? And you're like, oh my God, this tastes so good. This is like nutty and spicy and sweet. And you really let yourself relish that. And you just notice that in your body and you notice where in my body do I feel that excitement or that awe. And you can turn this little glimmer experience into a more drawn out experience if you really intentionally stay with the felt sense, the body sensation that goes with the glimmer and maybe also the thoughts that come along with it, the other feelings that come along with it, the just urges that come along with it. So it's bringing a lot of mindful awareness to every element of your experience, not just the initial sensation. So this is teaching our nervous system to be present, that we're safe right now, which is an antidote to trauma, which is the lack of safety and um, really more feelings of constriction or disconnection from our body. So whereas trauma tends to narrow our tolerance for just normal everyday stress, glimmers can help us widen our capacity um, to be with stress and be with adversity and just be really lovely. So there's like, you can use your five senses. There's maybe like food, maybe you um, feel the breeze on your skin. Maybe you see a really beautiful uh, tree and the sunlight streaming through the trees and you can really just notice that and stay with that. There's also interpersonal glimmers, like noticing someone's smile uh, and what that feels like as you smile back to them just when you're walking by, living your daily life. Um, It's just so easy. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. Like we're, you know, the culture we live in, our different contexts are usually demanding us to kind of be in go mode and, you know, just be running at a hundred miles an hour. And it's hard to slow down, but it's worth it to slow down. It is. And I feel like that's almost like a little T trauma experience that I'm experiencing now in my life is that, and that's what's making me um, be a little bit more in the flight response, if you will, Mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm so burnt out sometimes. I'm so busy that I can't appreciate those moments or I don't appreciate those moments. And Mm -hmm. because I'm so busy, I end up avoiding things and I end up just shutting down and staying in my room any break that I get because I just can't face the world. You know, I can't get my work done. I can't clean the house. I can't do all those things, which I think a lot of um, moms or a lot of parents can experience. And, And if you're not a parent, I think you can still experience that type of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's, you know, there's like 20 things on my to-do list, but there's some days I am just, my nervous system, I think is on such overload from being so busy mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I do, I just completely go into flight mode and I shut down and I just avoid everything. Everything seems too hard. Um, and I have to just stop. Is that, uh, is that, I guess a common response when it comes to, or could that, could that be considered a little T trauma? I don't know. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's definitely, it definitely could be a reflection of your, your nervous system is perceiving there's some threat, right? Whether that threat's actually in the present moment is the question, right? So if there is no actual threat in the present moment, then the question becomes like, is this something that I have carried with me from the past for some reason, right? Like, where and and I totally relate to this. I'm also in a very similar season where I'm just going, going, going and having to really catch myself and slow down, but it feels hard to slow down. So the questions to ask ourselves are like, where did I learn that it's not safe to to take a break? Or where did I learn what were there consequences in, in the past when I wasn't always doing more? Right. Or like, was there a relationship that I had where uh, um, I felt like I had to be doing all the things. Um, where did I learn to be critical or hard on myself? Those are kind of, those would, those would be the beliefs that our nervous system can carry that might make us more vulnerable to getting into these flight, go, 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 and then kind of um, crash patterns or wanting, wanting to avoid life, right? Uh, and it's a, all a practice. Like, again, none of this means that we're doing anything wrong or bad. It doesn't mean that we're broken. It just means that there's opportunities to practice just a little bit at a time. One really pa- small, powerful practice to work with this could be to use your sense of sight to really look around the room that you're in. And like take in the colors of the walls, take in, I'm looking at a gold lamp right now. Maybe you look out the window and you notice the sun. To really take a moment and look around you and deeply acknowledge in this moment, I am safe. You might need to even look behind you, show your nervous system that there's nothing chasing you. You might say to yourself, so-and-so isn't here right now, whoever that is, right, from your past, like my dad, who used to tell me I always need to do more, 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 isn't here right now, and to remind ourselves that we're adults, and, you know, if we've experienced developmental trauma, what we need to recognize is that we're adults now, and we don't depend on our caregivers uh, for safety, right, so we're safe right now, we can take care, we can do the hard shit, now. I love it. I love it. I'm going to start doing that. I like, I like, I really liked how you said, look, even behind you to, you know, as such a, a, you know, as a great reminder to, to not only be present, but to, to know that we're safe. And like you said, that some of those people and or things um, that usually inhibit some of our um, responses aren't, aren't there to, you know, um, to bring on more trauma you know, and kind yes. of take control over that, kind of take ownership over that. So 
any other tips before we leave today? I know um, you, I'm sure you have a million that we could probably sit here all day and, and talk about all the knowledge that you have about this. But um, for anyone who's listening out there that, you know, tends to be more in the fond response, a people pleaser, what are some things that they can, you know, start doing to bring awareness to it and also mm-hmm. maybe to help start minimizing it um, as well? Yes, absolutely. And I love talking about this. We can definitely talk forever. Let me let me go over um, three tips here, three practices for someone who's recovering from fawn and people pleasing. So the three things that are that kind of get built into the nervous system response that maintain the fawn and people pleasing, one is repressing anger, repressing healthy anger. Uh, another is dissociation. And then a third is is basically like fear and because of the fear, avoiding our asserting ourselves and avoiding speaking our wants and needs. So working with anger is going to be super important, right? So for the recovering people pleaser, usually as a child, anger was not allowed. Their fight response, the healthy fight response of like, no, like this is who I am. This is what I need right now is thwarted. And part of what needs to happen as an adult is finding ways to tolerate the sensation of anger in the body instead of dissociating and instead of avoiding or shutting down. Uh, One way to do that is to bring some mindfulness to where do I feel anger in my body right now? And can I stay with it for just two seconds? Okay, I, I did two seconds. Can I be with that sensation for another two seconds? Right, it's called mindfulness of emotion, just being super present with the emotion. Another beautiful way to practice being with anger is writing out a totally uninhibited letter to whoever you're angry at. And this is a letter you don't send. This is a letter for your own personal healing and the idea here is, you know, maybe it's a someone from your past, maybe it's someone in your present, maybe both. And you just I highly recommend handwriting as opposed to like texting or typing it to yourself. Write out everything you want to say and allow yourself to feel the anger. Be with the anger in your body. You might also notice some grief come through. And that's going to be really important too, because grief is a, a, a sense of being able to mourn, mourn the past and also acknowledge that we're safe right now and the past is over. We made it. We survived. So grief and anger usually come together. Just being with those emotions. If you have a therapist or a, a coach or a safe loved one, it could be really nice to have someone witness your anger letter and read it to them. Right. So it, Great idea. It <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that does go along also with practicing assertiveness in place of um, just going with the flow, right? So when we heal, when we feel healthy anger, it's information that we are either avoiding asking for what we need or some boundary is being crossed, something like that. And so that's great information then to funnel into an assertive conversation. These things are going to be hard. Fear is going to come up. Uh, We might dissociate. 
even if the person we're talking to, we know intellectually is a safe person, our nervous system might start feeling, start feeling really activated. So it can be really helpful if you're learning how to be assertive and have an assertive conversation to actually write down a script for yourself or some bullet points and practice it again by yourself in front of the mirror as corny or silly as it might feel. It's giving your nervous system the experience of doing it in a safe space. Right. And then it's really important to recognize, okay, I just did that. I just, what does that feel like in my body? Even though I'm like just talking to the mirror, how does that feel? And noticing I was able to say these words and then eventually having the conversation, maybe role play with a therapist or a friend um, as you lead up to the actual person you want to talk to. Um, Another great tip that I didn't make up, but I think is really useful is it's often hard to say no in the moment right? But you like some part of you knows you want to say no. So instead, give yourself time to leave and then come back to the conversation by saying like, I need time to think about this. Let me go check in with myself. I'm going to have to get back to you. Sometimes just being able to buy yourself a little time allows you to feel, find some like extra resources, find enough safety to then go back to the person and say, hey, no, this isn't going to work for me. This other thing might work instead. Right. And then when it comes to working with dissociation, which is basically not being present, being disconnected from our body and from the world around us, so a lot of opportunities for mindfulness, whether it's in the form of glimmers or just um, having some grounding tools around you, like I have this essential oil with me, um, having things you can hold in your hand. Uh, using different like weighted blankets um, or weighted kind of like stretchy clothing that intentionally you're going to use these tools to bring yourself back to the present moment. And as always with all of these somatic practices, it's important to go real slow and give yourself a moment to be like, okay, now how do I feel? Now do I feel more present? Right. And to take in the safety of the present moment. I love it. Thank you for all of those tips. I think they're so beneficial. And, <laughs> um, they're going to help so many people. Where can um, our listeners find more about you? If you would share your website or any um, mm-hmm. uh, webinars or anything like that, that you have um, any free re- free re- resources um, and where they can find you on social, that'd be great. So they can follow along just like I do and, you know, learn so much. Yeah, absolutely. So the best place um, to look uh, for some of my offerings is going to be through my Instagram. That's Hey Dr. Hey Dr. Justine J U S T I N E, and there there's some great free resources. One actually is all about the nervous system and a huge comprehensive list of different somatic self soothing skills. Um, you can get that download right to your computer or your phone and pull it out whenever you need it. You can find that at the link in my bio. I also have two courses that I'm really excited about coming up. One is going to be on the anxious avoidant dance in relationships and how we can harness nervous system and somatic tools to kind of step out of this uh, push-pull pattern in relationships. And that's going to be coming out in the next month. 
And then I also have a membership that's going to start for recovering people pleasers and fawns, uh, which you can also find at the link in my bio on my Instagram. Yeah. I love it. I'm signing up for both. <laughs> no, really. Because awesome. I definitely I definitely have some anxious avoidant um, you know, behaviors. And then I also am a recovering fawn people pleaser. It's it's mm-hmm. really hard to say no sometimes and really hard to set those boundaries and really um, you know, just try to, you know, be liked by everyone. It's exhausting sometimes, honestly. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to be in your own skin. So thank you so much for the tips on how to help that and for creating those, you know, courses and all the things that you do. Um, and thank you for sharing your wisdom today with all of us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.